0: What's up, ABQ? The future of distilleries, that's what.
1: So I think what'll happen is that there'll be a growth curve in distilleries. And so I think what's going to happen is some distilleries don't make it, and some distilleries do make it because they're focused more on the quality of what they're doing. And I think there will be some growth.
0: Follow Lindsay and Ryan to a former bank-turned-distillery in downtown Albuquerque where you'll find safes all over the building, and the malt men are making special blends, especially for New Mexicans. Order up a dram and enjoy the spiritus frumenti. It's What's Up, ABQ. What's
2: up, Albuquerque? This is Lindsay. And this is Ryan. And this is season two of What's Up, ABQ.
3: Welcome back, Albuquerque. I'm Ryan. And I'm Lindsay. And welcome back to another What's a Baby Q. And today we are with... Cherie Knight... And
1: Richard Lurig.
3: And where are we at, guys?
4: Safe House Distilling.
2: <laughs> Which is one of my favorite places in downtown Albuquerque. Um, I do have to like ask you first of all, what what is with the name? Explain the name to people. Safe house safe house, I'm sorry, distilling. How like what does that mean? Where did it come from?
1: Yeah, so it, it was kind of interesting. Trying to come up with a name that was unique and different was a task for the team over the last two years before we opened in June. And we were a former credit union location for Eagle Credit Union, and we inherited four safes that they left in the building. So quite literally, we're a house of safes, (laughs) full of safes. We um, have what I call the most unique bathroom in Albuquerque, which is a bathroom upstairs that has a safe in it. Nice. We looked at it and we said, okay, we have a bunch of safes, but we also want to be a place where people feel comfortable coming as a community so that when they come into the distillery that they feel comfortable no matter who they are no matter what their background is and so we we kind of wanted to create a safe place that people felt comfortable coming sitting kind of collaborating communicating talking and so it was kind of a double meaning like most of our things like our first product were And so safe house really means a house full of safes and a safe place to be.
2: You know, so I guess my question would be like, what's in those safes? Is there anything in there? Anything good?
1: Uh, That's a funny story. So (laughs) we've only been able to get into three of those four safes. Uh,
2: So the fourth one is definitely where the treasure
1: is, guys. We think it is because it's a a 1970s era cash vault. And we've been told by locksmiths that, you know, it was used to store large quantities of cash. It is the heaviest and biggest safe we have. It also requires the most amount of money to drill it because we don't have the combination. So many people have come through here saying that they think they could break into that safe. We've we've talked about having a competition to oh, do that.
3: There's be a contest contest. I feel yeah.
2: like that's a yeah. really good way to go.
1: <laughs> it's definitely coming up. Um, there may be nothing in there. Some of the other safes had old banking papers in them, uh, money orders sold here, signs, you know, different forms from the bank that they had just left. And now we store R&D-related things in those safes. We, of course, lock the one in the bathroom so no one gets locked in the safe. That was my, my number one stipulation. If we put a safe in the bathroom, we want to make sure no one can lock themselves in the safe.
3: Always oh, a good standard safety protocol. Just want to be that one guy. I know, there's the one person. Going,
1: that's what I think is like the risk protocol is, you know, somebody's going to lock themselves in there, right? And that'll be the worst thing. So I was like, okay, put the safe in the bathroom, which took about three hours to do, and then, you know, make sure it's locked.
3: So when it comes to distilling, uh, what would you say drives your guys' passion here?
1: I think Chris, who's my son, is the master distiller. He has a passion for trying to do what's unique and different and trying different things. So while we're making standard things like vodka and uh, gin, but we're trying to create a high desert gin, we're making uh, bourbon and and other whiskeys, malt whiskeys, but we're also making things like our collaboration with Marble with our Double White Lightning Whiskey. So things like that create a unique new whiskey that's different. He's a big believer in community and collaboration across the distilleries and across the brewery community. And so I think what we look at is, if you look at our infusion product line, for example, we take fresh ingredients, we try to source as much as we can from New Mexico, and then we infuse those and try different things out in our vodka. Some of those have been real hits. Some of those... Not so good.
3: Okay, so what makes something a hit and what makes something not a hit?
1: Well, you would think making it really super sweet makes it a hit because people like sweet things. That's not what it is. It's, the, <laughs> it's how fresh it tastes, whether or not all the flavors come through, whether you create the right uh, ingredients. To create something like our blueberry lavender infused vodka, we actually would go through... Somewhere like in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 different tests and trial runs of different combinations of blueberry and lavender to get to one that everyone felt like was good enough to try. When you taste our blueberry lavender, it's not that sweet, it's somewhat sweet. The fresh flavors of the blueberry and the lavender come through. So it's it's I think people enjoy you know having a a taste of something that is fresh, it's different. Uh, If you take our green chili vodka, infused vodka, when you smell it, everyone says, I smell New Mexico, I smell green chili, I smell fresh. And so, you know, you want that kind of thing. And so it's, it's different. A lot of distilleries outside of New Mexico that bring in their products have chemically infused infusions, mm-hmm. so basically they 're putting drops of blueberry flavoring
3: right. yeah.
1: in vodka. and so we don't believe in, in that kind of thing. You know We believe in cr- handcrafting and crafting our smaller batches, mm-hmm. and so I think that's what's important. But it also has to taste good in a cocktail. So True. we always try to come up with combinations of cocktails that match those ingredients so blueberry lavender in the simplest form goes well with lemonade so it's like it's almost like vodka and lemonade only it's blueberry lavender vodka and lemonade people enjoy that but then we also have other ingredients we make to create you know other special drinks uh, that people enjoy and they don't even really know that what's inside of it is the infused blueberry lavender vodka
2: you know, what's interesting is, <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice is kind of nuts today. Um, the blueberry lavender vodka reminds me so much of Los Poblanos and like a, like a New Mexico summer. Like that's what I think of when I taste it. And so it's, it's, it's really well done. I really enjoy like the kind of nuances. It says New Mexico and it reminds me of, you know, taking a stroll in the North Valley and mm-hmm. smelling the lavender at Los Poblanos. Like it's yeah. perfect. I love it.
3: So I'm going to ask each of you <laughs> a favorite drink here.
4: Right now, mine is the combination of Green Chili Vodka and Green Chili X Vodka, half-and-half, um, hand-crafted ginger beer
1: mule.
3: Good. and Is that what you have in your hand, too? <laughs>
4: That's what I'm holding right now.
1: Well, I don't want to sound too much like a homer, but basically, I like all the drinks. No, no, but... But seriously, <laughs> seriously, I, I think most of our drinks are, are very good. I try them all um, when we come out with new drinks. We just came out with a new menu on uh, October 1st. Then we've added some December things. We've added a, an apple brandy. So my favorite right now is the apple brandy old-fashioned. We, um, we picked apples in Corrales fermented them and turned them into apple brandy and there's an apple brandy old-fashioned that for whiskey drinkers tastes really good but it has fresh apples in it mm-hmm. i love the ginger uh the mules uh we make our own ginger beer here we That's peel nice. a lot of ginger and yeah. let me tell you ginger is not like peeling potatoes no. it has all sorts of tentacles yeah. so um, a number of us here at the distillery spend a lot of time peeling ginger and putting it into our ginger beer recipe And so I really, really like the blueberry, lavender, ginger, the mule made with our ginger beer with blueberry lavender. I also like it with the, um, I used to like it with the pear chamomile uh, infusion, but the pear chamomile was kind of taken away from the menu after the summer. And you would think as the managing partner here, I would have some rule over... (laughs) Over things, but the master distiller and the rest of the team also said, you know, that's really a summer flavor. It's not a winter flavor, so apple pie replaced pear pear chamomile.
3: I I hear you, because we're both dark beer drinkers, yeah, and we're now in that season. It's dark beer season for us. But in the summer, it's so hard, and we're like... You know, I I'm don't not...
2: want a half a wise, and I just want a porter. <laughs> exactly, that's
1: exactly
3: right. Yeah, yeah. It's so hard. <laughs> so, how did you guys start here? What, what's the beginning story?
2: When did you decide, hey, like this is for me, this is my passion, this is my craft? How, like, I want to go deeper yeah. into this than just drinking it. I want to make it, and I want to share it with other people.
1: Yeah. So, so I think it's different for all of the pe- members of the team. Chris, who's our master distiller, um, like I said, was very involved. In the local brewery uh, scene, the beginnings of Marble with the folks there, Mm -hmm. a number of things while he went to UNM. And then he went to Texas and worked for a distillery there, um, which grew very large. And he became very passionate about trying to do the right thing um, for distilling. But Adan and and some of the rest of our team are actually doing it on a much smaller scale here and wanted to grow into building a distillery. Mm -hmm. And so... The team here really was formed from people who thought it was a great idea to have New Mexico spirits handcrafted in New Mexico for New Mexicans. So, you know, the goal was build out in New Mexico. Don't go to Japan. Don't go to Colorado. Don't go to Texas. Just focus on New Mexico and focus on products for New Mexico. And we're very focused on trying to, to remain focused on not becoming a a huge distillery at this point in time i got involved simply because of the passion forever that everybody else had so i sort of as as chris's uh, father (laughs) saw the passion that he had had been involved in a number of the tours going to different distilleries around the country um, going on the tours here we went to a number of tours in colorado at distilleries and really, kind of caught the bug of okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this right. And mm-hmm. I stepped in to invest and and be a part of it with the rest of the team.
3: You know, and it's it's funny that you mentioned um, keeping it at a certain size because we've seen that again and again. People here they like micro, they like neighborhood. They don't want to get too big if they forget their own roots. You know. Right. Um, so what what have you seen with the story of the development? Of- well,
4: I wanted to get involved in distilleries, and because I love. I love the whole idea of making spirits here. It was new to me when I moved here in 2011. And prior to meeting Richard, I was involved with a young couple who were going to start another distillery and when they got to the build-out stage, they realized that the money that I and other investors had given them was not going to be sufficient, so they gave us our money back. And I had already met Richard, and, and they had already kind of welcomed us into their house at Safe House and showing us how things are done that in their way. So I approached him and I said, you know, I would love to just get involved. I I got my money back, and now I I don't have a distillery to be yeah, involved in. So <laughs> I really want to be involved. So um, what Richard has asked me to do initially is to help with networking, and getting the word out, and bringing people in, bringing the musicians, and ideas for events, and that sort of thing. And I've been very very delighted to do that. It's been the it's been the most fun thing I do. It's my third job. It's really been delightful, and I, I adore the product. And I I decided the very first visit I was like oh my gosh I love absolutely everything. And I do mean that. And so I really recommend that everybody ask for tastes of the different um, infusions so that they can get an idea of like what these handcrafted locally made fruits and everything tastes like instead of something commercial that, you know, it's being shipped in from Russia or something.
3: How would you describe your typical New Mexican's palate when it comes to spirits?
1: It's interesting because I would think that, you know, the general belief or stereotype is that people want want to mask a spirit with something again, very sweet or something that kind of covers the taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've found is the enjoyment of people coming to our tasting room and really tasting the raw uh, things, even just vodka by itself. Mm-hmm. And I've found that people, again, we're making this double white lightning that we're releasing on December 18th, the double white lightning whiskey. And that whiskey is a different kind of whiskey because it's based on the marble double white beer recipe uh, that we collaborated with marble on. And a number of New Mexicans... A lot of people have tasted it before the release. And it's amazing how people actually can get all of the different flavors out of it. They can have different impressions of it. They really enjoy it as a different type of whiskey. So people really aren't just going after it saying, give me the bottle of the thing I know the most. Give me a Macallan 18 Mm -hmm. scotch or something like that. They're basically coming in and really trying and testing it and trying to understand what they like and what they enjoy. And... uh, and that kind of makes it fun, uh, in the tasting room side of things to see how people really try different things.
2: So I wanted to mention this and, and you had mentioned fun and that's that's kind of the along the lines of where I'm going. So you guys have actually hosted a couple of pop-up brunches, which number one, brunch is my favorite meal it's true. of all time. Oh. <laughs> And two, I love, I love a little bit of infused, you know, I love a good mimosa. I love a good infused drink with my brunch. So whose idea was that? And also how do you, how do you decide what's on the menu for those brunches or do you let the chefs decide? Because I, last time I came, there was an amazing chef, chef Ruiz, um, who may or may not be coming up on this podcast at some point. Um, but he made these incredible, Pumpkin waffles and they were paired really well with all of the drinks. Everything went so well together. So kind of whose idea was that and are you going to continue to do that? And
1: Well, what we started to do is we started a, a, with a Bloody Mary bar and where we were making food and bringing in food and having people create these very large Bloody Marys with tons of food and sliders and things on them. And people enjoyed that, but it was, it wasn't the kind of thing we were looking for. What we were trying to do is look for unique experiences on Sunday. Normally we're not open at noon on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, So we started looking and Chef David was one of those that we, um, that volunteered to be the first And we have another one coming up here on December 15th, and then we'll have one in January and one in February. And basically, these pop-up brunches were an idea where we said, hey, if we bring in a chef, they can do something completely different. They can do something off of the normal menu they have. So we let them pick the menu. Mm -hmm. This Sunday specifically, we're launching our Teller Green Chili Infused Vodka in Bottles. So, Which the
2: so excited about sign
3: Yeah, <laughs>
1: so in this case, what we're making is blue, uh, we're making Bloody Marys with the green chili vodka yes. and our different Bloody Mary mixes. And we have this Mango Fuego uh, Bloody Mary mix that um, we'll have the green chili vodka and you know, we'll have the different uh, food combinations. We usually have three items on the menu. Um, so, this weekend, um, it's more of a of a Mexican feel is huevos rancheros. There is a French toast. And then there's a there's a steak and eggs. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be really good and we want to continue to do that as kind of a unique special thing and invite different chefs to do it. Who's
2: the chef that's coming
1: on Sunday? Um, he's from Sandia Casino, Darren. I can't remember his last name right
2: now yeah i remember reading it up on the sign but no this is great i think it's it's a nice i think you're giving the community a nice opportunity to kind of invite those chefs in and say hey like let's collaborate we both care about local infusions and food and tastes and flavors and palates so you know come come to our house come to our safe house cook something and we'll and we'll kind of collaborate with you which i think is a really unique experience and i really enjoyed the last one i thought it was well done it was not crazy, overcrowded, it was just a perfect, really nice brunch experience so i like I commend you on that because it was it was wonderful and If anybody has a chance to check it out, I would definitely recommend it
3: so a little bit before the show, um you talked about how there's only really a handful of distilleries here in town, right mm-hmm. there's tons of breweries here
2: cool. he's ta- he's talking with his hands he's very passionate right now <laughs> <laughs> you can't see it, but
3: um, so where do you see? The future of distilling going in New Mexico?
1: I think distilleries will will grow for a period of time. I don't think we'll have as many as breweries eventually. Um, It's a much more difficult thing to get into. First of all, people can't technically legally distill from home. You can do breweries at home. You can do microbrewing at home. You can buy brewery kits at home. And then people can go out and say, I want to start a brewery. And because there's a lot of breweries around here anyway, but distilling is actually federally controlled based on Prohibition and a lot of things so from no the moonshine. past. So, well, <laughs> not, there is. I'm not going to say that there aren't space people space in Albuquerque here. making their own things, but it is a much more difficult thing. You're not buying kits to do distilling at home.
3: There's no dukes of hazard. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. I think the closest thing to moonshine in this world that we would get is maybe going down the street to, like, founders and, like, walking downstairs. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I think what'll happen is that there'll be a growth curve in distilleries. I think you have to have uh, the right- right kind of team making the spirit if you make the wrong thing or the wrong the wrong price um, it isn't going to work it's a little bit different pricing than than beer when you get into whiskeys and gins and things like that but they have to taste good Mm -hmm. and so I think what's going to happen is and I've been speaking to some of the other distilleries there's going to be kind of some distilleries that don't make it and some distilleries that do make it because they're focused more on the quality of what they're doing and I think there will be some growth Mm -hmm. I think Albuquerque and New Mexico in general, it needs to to grow in the distiller community. Chris and our team, um, myself, uh, believe that we should really work as a collaboration across distilleries and make sure that, you know, the whole community works and cooperates together to try to provide the best products while we compete. We're in the same industry. We have the same passions. So, you know, you want people, you want to be around people that have those same passions and are committed to doing the right thing and, and kind of making good products.
2: So where do you see the future of distilleries going? Well, I'm
4: excited because we have distilleries in New Mexico now. <laughs> it's like such an exciting Jesus. thing, and uh, I, I'm I'm really delighted to have met Richard and Chris and the team because I feel like they have a lot of integrity and they have a real local. Uh, commitment to the community initially. And I've been seeing a lot of things that they've been bringing in, in terms of bringing in community events. You know, the pop-up branches are amazing. So to me, I, I think it's really going to require some business expertise, which, which um, Richard definitely has, Chris has a lot of actual distilling expertise, so if you get the right people together, I think um, a, a business can be very, very successful. And that's not going to be everybody, so it may be, um, you know, some startups start up and then don't don't make it. But I think there will be emerging three to five leaders, like there was initially in the in the beer business here, and those leaders will really set the the pace and the standards for everybody else to come.
3: Uh, Well, anyways, we need to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: This episode of What's Up ABQ is sponsored by Mark Cone Designs. If it's time for a new kitchen or bathroom, Mark Cone Designs offers free design consultation in their showroom at 3301 Manal. From new countertops, media and entertainment centers, laundry storage, and cabinetry to consultation about a top-to-bottom renovation of your home, Mark Cone Designs will take your dreams from wishes to completion. You'll get advice from their design experts, plus detailed floor plans and 3D renderings of your new space before you commit. Imagine how your New kitchens, efficiency, flow, and beauty will look in your home's current footprint. Drop by and let Mark's team of interior designers and woodworking experts design a comfortable, stylish, and functional space in your home. Mark Cone Designs, 3301 Manal Boulevard, next to Cost Plus World Market in the American Square Shopping Center. Visit them online at marccoandesigns.com or book your free consultation at 837-8888. Mark Cone Designs is what's up, ABQ.
3: And we're back. And today, we are with... Cherie Knight. And... Richard Lurig. And again, where are we at, guys?
1: Safe House Distilling.
2: And so where are you located? Just for people that maybe have never been here, they're yeah. looking for you, they want to check it out, where are you located physically?
1: Yeah, we're on 616 Gold Avenue, Southwest, between 6th and 7th Avenue on Gold.
3: So, in the best way possible, what makes Safe House weird?
2: <laughs> I wasn't ready for that question. Oh, it's a new question. You, you hit me with
1: it. <laughs> That is an awesome question. Okay.
2: I, ha- I may have an answer. No, no, no. I What's your answer? Well, I don't even work here. <laughs> okay. Okay, side, side story, and I'm just going to throw it out there because this has been on my mind and I have no idea why. I was in Berlin recently, okay, this is super random, took the rail runner with my kids down to Berlin, went to the Harvey House to look at the Christmas trees, and then we went to the bug lights, um, if you're a New Mexican, you know what the bug lights are, they're in Berlin now, and we walked by this little stretch in, on Main Street, Berlin, and there is a bowling alley for sale, like the entire thing. It's a bowling alley. It probably hasn't changed since 1960-something. It looks the same inside. And I was like, the first thought that popped into my mind was, that would be an incredible brewery or a distillery. Done. <laughs> I, could, I could totally see that happening. So yes, weird. There it is. Okay, but I don't work here, so my yeah. opinion doesn't is- count.
1: <laughs> well, on any given day, there's probably a lot of weird things about, about Safe House, right? We're, I mean, we're a very busy group. We all pitch in and we do whatever it takes. But the strange thing about this building is we don't really have segregation of the bar and the production area. So everyone is crossing paths and completely overlapping with each other between trying to run the bar and the tasting room and trying to run the production area. And during the day when we're not open, we all work out in the bar area, so we have people coming to the door constantly who want to come in and drink, and you know think we're open. And we call it the world's largest office because we're spread out. So before we open, if you come in here, quite literally, it's it's a mess because we have everything from merchandise and shirts and and bottles and things that we're testing and all sorts of computers and everything stretched out across all of our long tables. Makes it
3: sound like a lab.
1: <laughs> well, it's kind of more like a like a collaborative environment because we're all in there together, except for the people working in production, like Chris. So we're all interacting, and that's why we call it the world's largest office because it's just a big tasting room, and we're all in there working. And everyone says nobody's really used to that. We don't like coming down here in the basement where our office is, um, which we affectionately call the dungeon. It's um, actually
2: very nice. Like I don't. I mean, I get that you. I get it, but at the same time, it's not yeah. So
1: we're gonna time. we're gonna spruce this this it's basement nice. up, and we may even turn it into its own uh, speakeasy type uh, environment that in the future. You heard it here first. That's kind of the long term <laughs> plan. But the you know the the short term plan is we all kind of migrate up into the area, and we just we just work, and the strangest things happen every single day because people stop by. I take people on random tours. People just come and say, "Oh, we just wanted to see what this looked like." And I was like, <laughs> "You want to see a tour of the distillery?" And so we take them on a tour and we just, because we're in in an environment where we're trying to build ourselves into the community. We're here in downtown and we believe strongly in downtown. So if people are working downtown and walking by, we want them to know we're here and what it means to have a distillery. Everyone thinks we're a brewery. On any given day, there's at least two or three people that walk in that think a distillery is a brewery. And then they go, well, you're not a brewery? Big no, difference. we're a distillery. That's why it's safe house distilling. <laughs> and it's different. Breweries
2: across the street. The strangest
1: story of that is somebody came in and said, do I need my card to get in here? And one of our management team said, what do you mean, my card? And he goes, well, you're a dispensary. And he goes, no, we're not a dispensary. We're a distillery. <laughs> different category. So we get we of <laughs> get
2: We distill get we <laughs> <the distilled> spirits. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a fun environment every day. And we have a good time you know doing it and we we work very hard at what we're doing and we all kind of have to pitch in and do whatever we need to do
2: so I love your, um, and this is so nerdy of me to say, but I love your decor upstairs. Whose idea was that? How did you come up with it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. It's, it's very like, I don't even know how to it. it's warm, but at the same time, it's very trendy. It's on point. So I'm trying to like, it's I not just already kind of retro. I, no, but I love it. It's, yeah, no, It's, it's just, it's got that edge. I don't know how to explain it other than that. It has that edge.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, almost everything that we do, the whole team has kind of contributed one way or another. So there'll be little touches in, like, the bar tasting room area that came from different people on the team. And it still happens to this day. We're still modifying it. You know, we only opened in June. So we're still modifying things, but it's based on different aspects or different points of view that people have. All of the wood that we have in the tasting room, the wood on our patio, uh, the wood on the walls, was all repurposed from things that were in this building originally. So when we actually tore through the building and gutted the building to make it into a production area and a distillery and not a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that wood we saved and repurposed and we did a lot of the, the metalwork and the woodwork at Fuse, the um, CNM Fuse location, which was where we also did a lot of our initial merchandise, our coasters, a lot of our different things. So people just really had different points of view. Some people wanted us to be very kind of—I'll call it more upscaley—but we didn't want to be or perceived as upscaley. We wanted to be perceived as ingrained in the community. And what's nice is with our with our plant wall, with all the wood, with all the plants throughout, with the painting and the artwork that we have, rotating artists from the art walk. You know, people come in and say, "This is like my house. Yeah. This is like my home. I feel yeah. so comfortable here." And they sit and they talk and. You know, that's the kind of environment we were going for. But what's strange is it wasn't one person that said, this is the way we're going to do it. It was the whole team that said, let's do this on the wall. Let's build a plant wall. Let's put plants over here. Move the safe over there. Let's do long tables. Let's do so I really enjoy that because it was kind of a contribution from everybody and everyone had different perspectives in it. It's like
2: a collaborative community effort. I spent my, I almost said 63rd, 36th (laughs) birthday here and that was one of the reasons that we decided to come here was that it can accommodate like large groups. It can accommodate small groups. You can kind of get comfortable. It's not, it's not so quote unquote upscale that it's intimidating by any means. Yeah. It's definitely a place where it's very come and sit down, right? Like I felt comfortable saying like, okay, I have friends from all walks of life. This is a good place. You guys can all come in. It's fine. I really love that. I love the plant wall. It's like
3: my favorite thing. So. I think I should ask that question.
2: Okay. All right. Okay.
3: Go ahead. Oh, I'll start with you. We'll go this way. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Red or green? Christmas. And where do you go in town to get really good Christmas? And not a relative's house.
4: I think my favorite place is. I like to go to the um, mas tapas in the Hotel Andalus. Okay. It's just my favorite place. I go there for. I go there for brunch. But Nell will be coming here for brunch. No.
1: <laughs> fair, fair enough. Green. Green. Definite green. I like red every once in a while, but it's definite green and I go to Rand's station and get yes. their green chili stew and when they don't have green chili stew, which is like half the year, then you always go in and go, I want green chili stew, and they go, We don't have green chili stew and they go, But we can do this, this, this and this, which actually makes green chili stew. Uh-huh. So I love so that place.
3: <laughs> and <Yeah. get> you. <laughs> Boom.
2: As far as distilling goes, we were talking earlier a little bit before the show, um, we were up in the distillery and we were kind of looking at all the equipment and you had mentioned something interesting about New Mexico and um, distilling and how our climate kind of is different than a lot of other places. Well Do you want to touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So when you're, <laughs> when you're, when you're aging in barrels, you know, the whole, the whole purpose of aging in the barrels is to have the spirit go in and out of the wood mm-hmm. of the barrel. And so the expansion and contraction of the barrel through temperature changes basically causes uh, the aging uh, to occur as well as just sitting in the barrel generally. But if you could sit in... If if you were sitting in a plastic tub, you wouldn't just be aging because you're sitting in a plastic tub. So you're getting the flavors of the barrel. And by doing that, the spirit's going in and out of the wood. And how it, it accelerates that process is the temperature fluctuations. So if you're in places which, which New Mexico and Albuquerque specifically is unique with these large temperature fluctuations and those temperature fluctuations cause the aging process to accelerate because the wood is expanding and contracting more frequently and it's, it's absorbing the spirit and then kicking back the spirit into the barrel you know more often and so you're actually getting kind of this rotation within the barrel.
3: So how would you say that makes a New Mexican spirit different from, say, one made somewhere else? Like a Kentucky
2: bourbon? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it just, it it means that you can actually, you know, people oftentimes say, well, was it age three years, five years, eight years, 18 years, 25 years? And those time frames are all based on the climate that the barrel was in, the aging that the barrel was in. So in New Mexico, and there are other places like this too, but you know, in New Mexico, the aging process can be accelerated by the temperature fluctuation. So you might have something that has been aging for a year but acts like a spirit that's been aging for a year and a half, hypothetically. I mean, I'm not. Yeah. That's not an exact science. Is there like you know a
3: general saying? ratio? Like, you know, because it goes faster here?
1: No, as the distillers would tell you and Chris would tell you um, uh, I love this line, which is it's ready when it's ready and it tastes good, Mm -hmm. right? So there isn't like, Like uh, (laughs) you know, as the business side of safe house distilling, I will tell you that I'm always like, okay, we're gonna have products every quarter and this is what it's gonna look like. (laughs) Uh And he goes, that's great when we're doing some products, but when we're doing aging, it's done when I say it's done. And so, you know, you can't really predict, um, like we're aging the double white lightning whiskey that we're making and Crisco's it could take nine months before it tastes good it could take 18 months so let's just assume it's going to take 18 months to two years because the business person of course i'd love to sell age double white lit you know in one year from now at christmas time so you know it, it it is kind of that now once you start to have more and more you know we opened in june once you start to have more and more spirits aging in barrels those spirits may age or become ripe or, or ready Um, at different times. So you'll always have something coming up. And so it's like the more products we build, the more ready we'll have things coming.
3: And I know you mentioned that you have a finance background. What does it take for a new business financially to make it here in Albuquerque,
4: do you think? I think it really depends on the type of business. I've seen people start businesses out of their home, at their computer. A business like a distillery takes a, a, a fair amount of capital infusion. And I think one of the, the keys here is um, Richard is a very experienced businessman and um, in an IT world and has built and run a number of his own businesses. So I think it's a huge advantage to have someone um, like Richard joining Chris, who Chris is a very, very gifted distiller in my opinion, but to have a dad like Richard who has such wonderful business acumen and understanding businesses in the community as well as individuals, um, I think it's really it's really going to be a, a, an enormous asset over time to have someone like him on board and, and at the home.
2: And this is just something I was thinking about earlier as we were talking. If you could provide some kind of education to the public about what it takes to have a good palate when it comes to distilling or how to maybe start distilling on their own, What would you tell them? And let's say you could offer a class here or you could offer a weekend seminar. What would you offer? Just like what would be essential?
1: Um, That's an interesting question. Uh, It all varies. I know CNM is starting up a program. Chris is working with them on on some aspects of that program. Uh, Chris says it all starts with with brewing, you know, with breweries, right? If you can't brew beer, then you can't distill anything. And it's kind of a, a prerequisite. I mean, that kind of sounds strange, but they all follow some similar, similar patterns. I've found that in tasting spirits, there aren't two palates that are exactly identical. So I'm always astounded that there are a million different awards, uh, different kind of tastings that people have. But when you, when you look at people that are tasting it, I, you know, we sit up there and it, it strange thing in this job is we get to taste lots of things. And we get to try lots of things through the R&D process. And we'll all try something and we'll say, oh, that tastes like sage. It tastes really good. Somebody else says that tastes like sage. It tastes really bad. Like when you're talking about gin or high-desert gin or things like that, or if you're adding something else to it. So I don't know that there's one palate or one way to do it. I think what you don't want to taste is the alcohol. Like you don't want to have that harsh taste of of. Essentially grain alcohol, like when you were in college. Um, <laughs> or like when you did standards. <laughs> like when your standard was how much it cost uh, you um, know, Mountain so,
2: Hood vodka, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah. So
1: so you basically don't want something to taste harsh when you when you're drinking it. That's the key key thing for me, is something that tastes smooth. That when you taste it it you know but people develop their palates over time. To be honest, I used to not drink bourbon and rye for a long time. Now I like bourbons and ryes. Yeah. I right? just gotten
3: into that myself and yeah. I totally get that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I think it's kind of like following the progression from, um, rosés and chardonnays all the way to, you know, to cabernets and, you know, very, very dark red wines. Right. I think with spirits, it's a similar type of thing. For example, if you ask Chris, he makes the vodka, he likes the vodka we make, but to be honest he loves whiskey he loves bourbon he loves those things so he you know he's making gin and vodka and he does it very well but he would prefer something else there are other people that say i don't want to try i don't want to taste a whiskey at all so if you were getting into distilling you don't necessarily have to love every spirit that you you taste chris also says and i, I like this because i've i've been around a lot of large groups with him where People say, "Oh, I like this and I like that," and Chris starts to explain the history of that particular spirit, where it comes from or where how it's made, and then people go, "Oh, well, maybe I shouldn't like it." And he goes, "No, you like what you like because it tastes good to you. So keep drinking it." You know, that's Chris's advice when, when asked, and I think that's good advice: is that you know, your palate may change over time; it may develop and evolve like mine has, but at the time, you know, at the same time, you have to drink what you like.
2: In a few years, what does success in New Mexico look like? Um, you my question. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Did you want to ask it? You can ask it. Okay. No, I'm curious to know, because I feel like New Mexico is such a different place than a lot of other places. And I think we define local success a lot differently. We are a very different breed of people in a good way. So what does success look like as a New Mexican?
1: So we didn't... necessarily start this business to become millionaires or a hundred millionaire type things, right? We started it and the vision was to be an integral part of the community, to build high quality spirits for, for people that lived in New Mexico and obviously to have a sustaining business. So success for us looks like, yeah, we want a profitable business where we can continue to evolve our product line, try new things, try different things that people aren't used to and kind of continue to evolve the product line and and build out a lot of you know just like our special release double white lightning we want to have something like that every few months or every six months where it's just unique or different where it's a collaboration we're doing with somebody else and we want to obviously be able to make enough money to sustain that but if we do that and we make enough money to sustain it we don't want to do it at the cost or the expense of things like uh right now we're a co-sponsor on art walk we have artists that rotate their art through our you know we want to be an integral part of the community and be still a part of that we don't want to become a big corporate entity that um, is only thinking about Profit. So you're not
2: going to move production to Denver. In other no. words, okay. Thank no. you for that. The <laughs> green chili is real green chili, right? We're not going to get into the Pueblo patch <laughs> argument today, but. <laughs> and what is success? What do you think success looks like in New Mexico? Well, I think
4: um, for me, just seeing being able to see this business uh, first of all succeed, and then grow to the point that a lot of people know about it, and I've been doing a lot of work going into places that don't have. Teller vodka, for example, or pick luck gin, on the shelf, and saying, "Do you have those? You know, do you have these spirits?" and and being able to tell them about it, and saying, like, "What would it take for you to want to have a local spirit like this?" and and would you be interested in tasting it? So um, I think just being able to see. The spirits on the shelves, and a lot of my favorite local businesses in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Taos—you know—as a starting point—would be hugely successful, and replacing Tito's would be ultimate goal. <laughs> I like that. That's
3: good. So, and my
2: other question, and my final question, and then you can jump in. Sorry, Ryan. Oh, thanks. Just, just giving me fire. permission. That's nice. Oh, you know. Thanks. Sibling love. Oh. Um, <laughs> if you could make any infusion, doesn't matter if other people like it, but you would be excited to have it, what would it be? Oh,
1: boy, that's tough. <laughs> I, I love probably more than a lot of people grapefruit. We asked some hard questions here tonight. I know. So, to me, um, grapefruit would be an awesome infusion, some kind of grapefruit with something else. I don't know what the other thing is since you just asked me this question. You but, you know, I love grapefruit juice. I love grapefruit juice and vodka, but I think that sometimes kind of comes off sweet. I think if you could infuse grapefruit and vodka or, you know, those citruses, I think that would be good, but not something overdone like orange vodka yeah. or things like that. I just love grapefruit so maybe that's like maybe it's just a bias i have because i love grapefruit
4: all right well i'm first of all a huge fan of um green chili so we've already got green chili and extra 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 hot green chili bogus here blueberries i absolutely adore so i saw the blueberry i was like oh my gosh blueberries too so boom i was excited about that then apple pie
2: yes it's
4: a new one that I'm super yes. excited <laughs> to continue trying. Um, so I was sitting here thinking as as Richard was talking, and I think I love raspberries a lot, and um, I love cucumbers. I love cucumber vodka. So I think those would be a couple of things that for me would be fun to try.
2: Okay. What about you, Ryan? Do you have a? Oh, gosh. You, you didn't think this was going to get asked to you. <laughs> I, know. No. I know. I never,
3: think, never no, I have to think about it now. I don't know. Um <laughs> It's not so much the infusion, it's the really getting this, the smooth, balanced with the wood. That's what I look for. Okay. Um, and so it's not so much, because like you can get whatever infusion, you know, but if, like you were saying before, you know, if you don't get the smoothness of it versus just the pure grain alcoholness, it, that's what I'm looking for in a good in a good stiff drink.
2: I think I would do something with basil. I really like basil. I, again, I would put something else in there. I don't know what it would be. Maybe blackberry, I really Growing up in the Pacific Northwest, blackberries are kind yeah. of a thing. So I feel like basil blackberry would be a thing for me. The other thing I would love to see is like a Biscochito or like something with anise and cinnamon or yeah, something like mm-hmm. that. Really I don't know good. what that would look like. But yeah, something like that. Just Some maybe a holiday. A drink. Oh, no. <laughs> Throw it in your coffee if you want to. Maybe a brunch drink for the future. <laughs> Not that I'm hinting, but you know. <laughs> so that's where I'm at.
3: So... In 25 years, when Stillery is rolling out their private select reserve, what are they rolling
1: out? I think it'll definitely be a a bourbon or a rye, a whiskey of some sort, um, because that's what Chris's passion is. And I think that's kind of where you would evolve different things and different recipes that are not so kind of tuned to current market conditions. Mm-hmm. So if you were looking at something that had been aging for a long time, that was a special reserve, it would be a bourbon or a rye. Good to know. Do you have anything else you want
3: to... No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Well, it's, okay. So the last little bit of the show, what's something that you want the average Albuquerque and to know about distillery?
4: I've been trying to just make sure that people know where we are. And I point that out, and say, we're a block south of the El Rey, we're catty across the street from Bozy Brothers Brewing, and then they go, oh yeah, and they said, and there's a, a nice parking lot nearby and a lot of parking on the street, please come down.
2: And they have food trucks, guys. There's yeah, food here, there's giant Django, which is so fun. I may or may not have beat my husband at a game hey. of that a couple weeks ago. Just <laughs> Don't want to rub it in. But I'm going to put it on the
1: on so the record. Something about this distillery? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So... I think it's important that everyone know that we're very committed to the art community. We're very committed to having artists in here. I think it's very important to understand that we have food and we have Urban Hot Dog as a very good so partner good. of ours. <laughs> uh, because you don't always notice that food truck because it's not parked in the front like it is yeah. in some of these places. It's it parked in the back.
2: And, <laughs>
1: and and so And so that's really good. And I think, you know, the thing to note is that we have more than vodka, we have different spirits. Obviously, we don't have beer. But I would challenge anyone to come and try one of our drinks. Even if you like beer, there's probably a spirit that you like and a cocktail that you like that we can make you here.
2: And I would suggest the Phony Pony because that's my favorite. It was pretty good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. Yeah,
2: thanks Thank for having you. us. Thanks yeah. for inviting us into the dungeon and letting mm-hmm,
1: us I know we survived.
2: <laughs> infused alcohol. And, and
1: we appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having you know, being here. It's
4: been a pleasure talking with you guys. Thanks so much. All right.
0: What's up, Albuquerque? Or maybe I should ask, want to meet up, Albuquerque? We're excited to announce that on February 22nd, Lindsay and Ryan are going to have their first annual network event. That means at Thirsty Eye Brewing from 1 to 3 on Saturday, February 22nd, come over with us, have a beer, have a drink, and network with some of the people they've interviewed on the podcast. You can meet some other community entities and businesses, and, you know, Lindsay and Ryan might even show up too. So check it out. Please come, tell your friends about this community-centric event, and we want everyone to show up. There's going to be food, there's going to be beer, there's going to be people, and it's going to be all of what makes What's Up ABQ amazing. So remember, February 22nd at Thirsty Eye Brewing at 206 Broadway Southeast from 1 to 3 p.m. We hope to meet you and see you there. Hey, Albuquerque, and thanks for listening to What's Up, Q, Albuquerque's very own podcast. Every week, Ryan and Lindsay talk to the people who add unique flavor and make a positive impact to our fair city. We help point you to the places you need to see, visit, or patronize, and to do this costs some time and resources. So, without sounding too needy, could you help us out by pitching some funds our way? You can drop some bucks in the tip jar by donating at whatsupabq.com. And if you know about a local business or establishment that should be featured, or you own one yourself, drop us a line at abqwhatsup at gmail.com. Again, the website is whatsupabq.com, and the email is abqwhatsup at gmail.com. We've also got a few sponsorship spots open, so get in touch with us soon to reserve your business's time on the show. What's Up ABQ is produced by Lindsay and Ryan with post-production assistance from me, Paul Nixon, at paulnixonvo.com. Make sure and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends about us, and thanks for listening.